0: This is a recording of a live Resolution Foundation event. We hope you find it some combination of interesting or entertaining. To read the research and access the event slides referenced in this episode, please visit the events section of our website.
1: Good morning. Welcome to this Resolution Foundation event on the paper we've released this morning by Johnny Marshall, uh, one of our senior economists running out of road. Tackling the challenge of how the green transition uh, in transport and cars is going to properly be funded. We're going to hear a moment in a moment from Johnny, and we'll then have three pan- panelists. We'll hear in order first from Alison Todd from the Office of Budget Responsibility, Professor G- Gillian Annable in Chair in Transport and Energy at the University of Leeds, and Matthew Croucher from the Society of Motor Manufacturers. And traders. But Johnny, it, uh, over to you for your presentation of your paper.
2: Cool, thanks, David. Hello, everyone. Um, um, before I get going, I'd like to say thanks also to Adam Corlett, who's sat over there, who did a lot of heavy work on this paper, too. So, is this working? Just not, is it? Oh, yeah. Good start. There we go. So, starting with the good news, the transition to electric cars is quite clearly picking up pace. Last year, one in seven new cars sold in the UK were electric, and this means that there's now more than a million of them driving around on our roads, and it's pretty obvious that this change will continue to happen. There's high public demand for these cars, there's sales mandates coming in, and there's ultimately the ban on the sale of things that aren't electric from 2030. Um, As such, as this chart shows, the the share of EVs in the car stock, um, and the share of the miles driven by EVs, which is the yellow line, will increase uh, quickly over the next decades. There's a few different scenarios on here. The green one is one we've done in-house here, which is quite an optimistic one. The purple one is what the CCC anticipates, and the dotted red one is the sort of government's minimum mandate sales mandate target Um, but they all all go in the same direction Um, and this is this is overall is good news cars vans and lorries account for more than a fifth of the UK's carbon footprint or about 90 million tonnes of carbon dioxide a year it's the biggest source of emissions in the UK and it's one that needs to fall pretty soon on some more good news um, electric vehicles are cheaper to drive than non-electric vehicles This is due to cheaper energy and tax treatment. Means that those that can afford to drive an EV spend less money on driving them around. Um, Sorry, what's going on here?
1: Sorry, me. me, I'm setting up quit. I've set up the (laughs) power quiz.
2: Okay, so this chart shows, um, yeah, the price price per mile of driving an electric car and a non-electric car. Um, at current prices on those before energy prices spiked um, and it's clear that it's cheaper to drive an electric car um, the main driver of this is, is the red bit on this chart which is fuel duty but cheaper energy costs in blue are also important so focusing on the red bit um, the tax treatment for electric vehicles all the good for drivers does bring bad news for the public finances and this is the sort of first key challenge of the sort of, um, the first key challenge that reforming vehicle taxation needs to keep up with. At the moment, fuel duty raises more than £25 billion a year, which the government spends on things that it spends money on, and failing to replace this would mean either less public investment, which is probably a bad thing, or higher taxes elsewhere, um, and it works out to, to replace that through income tax, for example, would be about 15% increase in the amount of money we raise from income tax, so it's quite considerable amounts of money. Um, But fuel duty is already likely in decline. There's estimates showing it peaked in 2019 and not long until this decline picks up pace as as this chart shows. Um, We can see foregone revenues topping £10 billion a year in the early 2030s and then over £20 billion a year five or so years later. Um, And when you couple this with the risk to vehicle excise duty that electric vehicles also pose um, policy-dependent. You can see that this black hole is even bigger, uh, more than you know, £32, £32 billion of annual tax revenue on the table. But As well as tax implications, cheaper driving will mean people decide to drive more. Um, this will push up traffic and increase congestion. So this chart shows that traffic levels are estimated to increase by about a quarter on 2025 levels by the middle of the century. Um, with lost time or congestion increasing even quicker Um, and this is bad news because the UK is already a very congested nation. We already spend more than a billion hours a year sat in traffic Um, and this is a huge cost both to the economy and to the living standards of those who sit in the cars in traffic but also people who are on buses in traffic for example or who live and spend time near these busy roads. Um, But crucially, congestion is not the same anywhere. Um, It's much more severe in cities in rush hour than it is, for example, in the countryside overnight. And the final sort of challenge we're outlining here is um, how to reform the system. So assuming the system does need reform, which hopefully we've argued it does, a key challenge is to do it in a way that doesn't harm those who are on lower incomes. So this this chart shows somewhat unsurprisingly that lower income households are likely to own older cars. Um, As such, any system that allowed electric vehicle drivers in in newer cars, more expensive cars, to avoid motoring taxes would would not be fair because it would leave those driving in the older cars picking up the tax burden. So overall, we need to design a system that retains revenues, avoids congestion, keeps net zero on track, and ultimately protects the living standards of drivers on lower incomes. So what are we proposing? First off, any replacement for fuel duty needs to be simple and it needs to be easy to understand. So, for example, we could price road use variably with different mile per mile rates at different times of day, but that would likely be politically tricky. So instead, we're proposing a national flat rate fee that EVs would pay to use the roads. Um, If this is set at six pence per mile plus VAT, this this ensures that fuel duty receipts do not do not wane, it effectively matches fuel duty. But as this chart shows, it ultimately leaves driving an electric vehicle tri- still cheaper than driving a non-electric vehicle. Um, and this is pretty crucial for keeping the net zero transition on track. Um, you could also argue that older, so non-electric cars should also move to the system, but here we think keeping fuel duty is um, probably the better solution because it's simpler, so it's easier for drivers to, to engage with. And it's also better targeted for emissions, for cars that produce emissions. So, um, retaining fuel duty for the non-electric cars is where we've come down on yeah. here. And the third on this is the proposed system that's based on GPS tracking. Um, obviously, a national scheme where the price per mile is the same could be, in theory, checked by MOTs, by checking mileages. But these can be infrequent. So, if you buy a new car, you often don't have to get MOT'd for three years. Um, it would limit how policymakers can change the rates, the per mile rates within a year because obviously MOTs are due at different times depending on when your car was last MOTed. Um, it's also more temperable and it poses issues for miles driven overseas which is an issue of people driving on holiday but mainly an issue of people living in Northern Ireland who spend time driving in the Republic. Um, so a GPS system also lends itself to our next recommendation which is a locally designed and administered congestion charging such that cheaper driving driving doesn't clog up all of our roads. As this chart shows, congestion is a major issue, um, but it's also a concentrated issue. So this shows that four-fifths of what we've determined as problematic levels of congestion, that is where the average delay on the roads is more than one minute per mile per car, which is quite high, um, is all concentrated in, uh, in the nation's cities and in its large towns. Um, so here we argue that local authorities where these areas are um, or others that choose to should be able to bring in congestion charges which would likely be through a higher per mile rate at certain times of day rather than a, a daily charge as is, as is the case in London for example. Um, but it would also choose how to spend this money. So this could be on exemptions to the scheme as, it, as it's getting going or an alternative means of getting around longer term so that people can go about their business without using their cars. Another key recommendation is going further on reforming vehicle excise duty. So the government has announced plans that it will make electric vehicles pay annual vehicle excise duty from 2025. This will protect the revenues that vehicle excise duty brings in, but it does change the distributional impact of the tax. Um, What it means is that effectively all the tax burden is on the people that have a car um, and tax it every year, then buy new cars. Um, And as these charts show, the blue one shows that majority of people that buy new cars are at the top of the income spectrum so any move that um, saw the tax burden move away from these people would not be ideal Um, but it also shows that annual VED you know is a bigger part of people's motoring budgets if they're on a lower income Um, and these are why we think the government's plans don't go far enough Um, so instead Upfront VED is currently banded by carbon emissions, but um, as cars without emissions will be banned soon, within several years, we can look to ex- other externalities to grade VED by. Um, and here we've settled on doing it by weight. Cars on our roads are getting bigger. This causes more damage to roads, more damage to infrastructure, more damage to people, more damage to the environment. Um, so reforming VED to a, a pound per kilogram charge um, would hopefully help to change consumer decisions away from this. And this could range from five pounds per kilogram up to maybe 15 pounds a kilogram above a certain weight, um, depending on obviously where the limit is set. Um, And this would would hopefully steer the car purchase decisions that people make. And then the final policy recommendation is to um, sort out VAT on electric vehicle charging. So VAT is currently levied at 5% if you charge your electric vehicle at home but 20% if you charge it by using the public network. Um, And this clearly penalises those who have no choice but to use a public network. And as this chart shows, um, being able to charge your car home is something enjoyed by richer households and owner-occupiers and less so by those who rent their homes and are on lower incomes. Um, And it's these people who, without policy change, will be paying more for their energy to drive around. So as such, we should look to harmonise the rate of VAT Um, And for various reasons, it's probably not ideal to raise VAT on domestic energy to 20%. Energy bills are high enough already, um, and there's sort of environmental issues as well. So cutting VAT on electric, on public charging would instead be a better option. Um, And this comes with a small cost today, but it would increase obviously in the future as there's more, 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 more electric vehicle miles being driven uh then the final slide is just on haste on needing to get going soon so this chart shows that the number of um the share of electric car miles will overtake that of non-electric car miles in the early 2030s um and by which point the sort of tax transition will be in the way congestion could be much worse but also um, a larger number of drivers of electric vehicle could be accustomed to tax-free driving so any changes could be harder to enact So just to recap, here's what we're proposing: So a per-mile fuel duty equivalent for electric vehicles, congestion charging, which is designed and implemented locally using the same GPS system, Uh, reforming vehicle excise duty so that uh, upfront levies are retained, um, and equalizing VAT on charging so that people that can't charge their car at home have access to the same price energy. Thank you.
1: Great, thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Johnny. That's a really interesting set of ideas and proposals. And of course, uh, now it's all being uh, addressed by us and our panellists in a very pragmatic way, but it is just worth recording that there was a time when road pricing was one of the great ideological issues about what free market economics could do. And Professor Alan Walters, who was Margaret Thatcher's economic advisor in the 1980s, was one of the early advocates of road pricing. uh, And there was a lively ideological debate conducted in circumstances where there was no technology available to make it doable anyway. So now the technology is caught up, and now we're having a very interesting and much more pragmatic debate. We're going to hear now from our panelists. Let's begin with Dr. Alison Todd, senior analyst at the OBR. Very good of you to join us. And I know you lead the thinking on this at OBR, so give us your observations.
3: Thank you very much. So I think first, well done to Donny and Adam for getting this excellent paper out. Then I've got to say, obviously I'm from the OBR, so I am explicitly forbid from making any kind of policy recommendations. So naturally I'm thrilled to be here on this panel discussing policy recommendations. No, but (laughs) I I think you are trying to answer the right question. So it's certainly something we've had to try and grapple with analytically, even if on a policy advice level it is beyond our remit. So if we go back to Our 2021 fiscal risks report we were sort of the first people to try and assess what the fiscal costs of net zero would be to the UK and our main conclusion from that report was that it would be fuel duty which would be the biggest cost to public finances so this is just fuel duty it's ignoring VED and anything else and that would amount to somewhere in the order of 500 billion pounds out to 2050 in lost revenue and to put this in perspective this is a third again more expensive than what we estimated the total public investment requirements would be for net zero So if we don't replace lost revenue from fuel duty, this is essentially going to more than double the cost of net zero. So this is a really big question. Uh, So I will say then on fuel duty and the erosion of it, uh, EVs are really only one part of the picture. So it's been exacerbated by successive chancellors uh, consistently choosing to freeze fuel duty uh, for over a decade. And in fact, last year in March 2022, not only did they freeze it, they cut it by five pence per litre temporarily for a year. But then this was extended again in the last budget in March 23 for another year to 24-25. And so what this has essentially done is cut what we'd call the effective tax rate. Uh, and we talk about this more in a working paper we actually released last month in May, a few weeks ago. Uh, so it's worth read. read. Uh, but basically, uh, the amount of the worth of the tax of fuel duty has uh, decreased by over 40% since 2011 when uh, we first started freezing fuel duty and now cutting it. So it's quite a significant erosion of this tax base already uh, before we even talk about EVs. Uh, And this is actually quite a problem for us as forecasters. So it is government-stated policy to uprate fuel duty in line with RPI. So we are required to forecast that this is what's going to happen even though it hasn't happened for over a decade. Uh, And so this is obviously a risk to our fiscal forecasts. And to address this, the uh, Treasury Select Committee actually published a report at the start of this year where they recommended we were uh, be allowed to forecast under the assumption that fuel duty is going to be frozen again indefinitely. Uh, and this is to try and mitigate what they called the fuel duty forecast fiction. Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, in line with this, in our most recent uh, forecast so it was in, for the March budget, Uh, As well as doing our normal fuel duty forecast, assuming that fuel duty is going to be upgraded with RPI because we still have to do that, we did look at the alternative scenario where we assume that fuel duty is uh, frozen at this lower rate uh, indefinitely from 24, 25. And so the first thing we see is that to date, the lost revenue from these fuel duty freezes and cuts has already amounted to over 15 billion pounds to the exchequer. Uh, If we were to continue freezing fuel duty at this new lower rate from 24, 25 to the end of the forecast, That is an additional loss revenue of £3.3 billion per year on average and this reaches £4 billion in the final year, which is 27-28. Now, £4 billion out of all of the receipts revenue in the UK mightn't seem like much money, but it actually, if we got less, £4 billion less revenue in that final year of the forecast, we erase over half of the Chancellor's fiscal headroom to uh, meet his fiscal target of getting net debt falling. And so this leaves him 0.1% of GDP or 2.8 billion pounds to meet his his fiscal target. So if you add in better than expected EV uptake or any other slight breeze to the economy, you can see that this this headroom could quite easily disappear. Anyway, so I've talked a lot about receipts, but when it comes to fuel duty, we also have to remember emissions. Uh, So as part of our fuel duty forecast model, we do see and assume that if you cut fuel duty as has happened that you would get an increase in fuel consumption uh, just because it's cheaper and that would mean an increase in emissions and you could argue that this is counterproductive to net zero. But I'm going to say despite this, despite the fall in revenues because of more EVs and the changes of emissions due to the Chancellor's cutting duty rates, these are actually really positive things. So firstly, if we have a fall in receipts due to EVs, that's showing that we are actually making progress in decarbonising the sector, which is what we want. And then secondly, it also shows that we have a really strong fiscal lever when it comes to decarbonizing cars and buses and vans and the like in the form of fuel duty if we choose to use it. The lever is there. Um, it's not for us to say whether or not we use it, but it's there. And this is actually in stark contrast to many of the other sectors of the economy where there are very weak, if at all, levers present to try and decarbonize. And so just to give an example of how these fiscal levers, or in this case tax, can be used to decarbonize, we look to the power sector. We have what's the carbon price support. And this is basically what's been attributed to really incentivising the power sector to switch from coal to gas, which is the big emissions success story in the UK. Whenever you hear that we're ahead of everyone else in decarbonising, it's largely switching from coal to gas, which was due to attacks. So these are, these are important levers to consider in the uh, scope of net zero. So I think to conclude uh, my little uh, response, uh, whilst it's all really good that we are sitting here discussing you know, how we can fairly replace an excise duty which may actually succeed in doing what they should do and eliminating this uh, vice, so to speak. Uh, we shouldn't forget all the other sectors which we don't currently have any controls for and I don't know politicians might disagree, but I think there are there are harder tax questions, indeed harder questions than duty out there still to answer.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Alison. And uh, you're right, there are many other questions as well. And in fact, I should have said, this report today is part of our wider Economic Inquiry 2030, uh, sponsored by Nuffield Foundation, and so this is part of a wider assessment of precisely those issues. And thank you also for reminding us of the pure OBR doctrine we had at our budget, uh, when we had our post-budget event, that point was made very powerfully, uh, the endless process whereby a forecast tax is never actually uh, properly uprated. Uh, good, and let's now hear from Professor Ginian Annabelle, Chair in Transport and Energy, University of Leeds. Thank you very much, heroically, for coming down from Leeds this morning. Over to you.
4: Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very, very pleased to be here. This is a really crucial discussion, and I really felt that the report was a breath of fresh air, so congratulations on that there um, has been an attempt to discuss this topic as david referred to for many decades in fact uh, since the 1960s some form of road user charging road pricing if we call it road duty um, and obviously also uh, more local attempts in the form of congestion charging have come on and off the agenda Um, for uh, uh, almost cyclically uh, over that time and what I wanted to do was to sort of think about some of the main reasons why maybe it has failed to take hold and kind of set those Reasonings as a test against uh, whether this this report stacks up to that. It would take me a, a more thorough analysis, but my sort of top of the top of the mind thoughts for that. So I really do think it's a breath of fresh air because you have attempted to use the existing levers that we have and think about how we can do that. There have been a lot of reports in recent years which have thought about how we can totally reform taxation, taking away the existing instruments. And putting everything onto a, a very sophisticated per mile charge, which is varied by time of day, type of vehicle, type of road, the, the road that, that people are on. Um, but I think that's, we haven't got the time for that. So I really do appreciate the pragmatic kind of approach to this. But um, there are just a couple of things that, that I, as I say, I was reflecting on. And one of the key reasons I would say that uh, s- this discussion, this conversation, has hit the, the roadblocks that it has done in the past is because there's, there's, there's really has to be an acceptance that how the revenue is spent that is raised through these taxa- taxes um, needs to be part, integral part of how we think about reforming them. Because what we've learned over the, the decades mainly through research on public acceptance and so on, but also where some form of road charging has been implemented, is that the public acceptability of this is based on fairness, principles of fairness perceptions, um, and the, 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 that, fa- that fairness notion is very much tied to how the revenue is spent. So although essentially, and I haven't, I don't know if I can say this exactly, essentially I think the analysis that you've done or the propositions that you've made are sort of gunning, for, at the <coughs> moment at least, for sort of revenue neutrality, or at least to, you know, to, f- to fill the hole, it's still nevertheless going to be new sets of, of taxation. And from a public acceptance point of view, which is the key barrier to this, linked obviously to political will, um, we have to get this, this particular formula right and we have to start to discuss how we can, we, what we will do with the revenues to make the, the various social objectives, meet the various social objectives. Um, so, um, the, And also you focus very much on, on congestion reduction. Um, which um, is absolutely perfectly legitimate, but that's also potentially one of the, the, the sort of failures of some of the previous uh, discussions on this because essentially the sort of theory, the economic theory that's behind this is that so long as we, we reduce congestion, um, the benefits will, will, will trickle down, sort of great efficiency gains, productivity be- benefits will trickle down. Um, and so the actual distributional impacts on a a much more finer analytical basis have tended not to be really looked at There's kind of this assumption. And again, that's part of uh, what really has halted some of the discussions about who who really is going to pay um, and and who is going to benefit uh, from this. And ultimately, the, the most effective way to reduce congestion is actually to reduce traffic on the road. The uh, increased prices will do that to some extent, um, but um, in uh, w- in looking at what we need to do for decarbonisation, we know from uh, all kinds of analysis that is is now coming out now and accepted that we need a significant reduction in traffic in addition to to, to this rapid um, increase in EVs that we're having. So. A lot of different models are coming out with a magic figure of around 20% reduction in car miles, cars having to compensate for, for the fact that heavier duty vehicles are lagging behind in, in their ability to decarbonise. Um, and a 20% reduction, um, it requires a huge investment in alternatives to the car, um, which, we need to start talking about where we're going to get the money from. So I feel that it's a, a missed opportunity in this, in this analysis. I appreciate you want to just set out the principles, but I think it's inevitable that if this were to, to be taken up and discussed, that we would hit roadblocks with public acceptability if we didn't start talking about how we could actually channel the money for much better use to the, to the whole... Uh, public transport system so that's that's my my kind of main uh, main point but one other point on public acceptance is that I, I have a fear that if we don't do this very quickly and I know you're advocating for sort of 2027 as being being the date but if we weren't to hit that we're going to have left it in a sense too late in in that we're going to create another kind of diesel gate scenario in the minds of consumers it will be, go something along the lines of, and it might already be too late for this, you told us to buy UVs because they're environmentally friendly, and now you're telling us that they're not. Um, and although this might be, be based on a sort of kind of congestion and trying to, to base the conversation about the fact we've still got to manage the network, it's still going to be turned into a punishment for doing something that people were encouraged to do. Um, and this is why we do have to start start integrating into these discussions much more the wider impacts of EVs, not just congestion, but also, for instance, how much we've got to spend to upgrade the electricity system in order to accommodate EVs, plus a lot of the other um, issues around their wider environmental impacts. Um, as well in order to be able to to have this this conversation about the justification for for charging those vehicles
1: Thank you very much very helpful and two really important Challenges there about how actually we'd said about it and the importance of urgency Let's hear from Matthew Matthew Crouch economics manager at the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. over to you Uh, Thanks so much. Yeah, so uh, SMMT is
5: the trade association for the uh, motor manufacturers in the UK, also the importers, and we cover not just cars, but also vans, uh, trucks, buses, you know, they're all our members, as well as the aftermarket section. So um, as, you know, producers of the vehicles, we're not sort of wedded to any particular sort of taxation uh, measures as as such. Um, But we do really want a fair and uh, robust system that's really easy to understand. Uh, And the trend you know, we're obviously on the hook for that transition to uh, sorry, we're obviously on the hook for the uh, transition to electric vehicles, um, and you know we do have the ZEV mandate coming in. Uh, we do have the end of sale dates, and so we are fully wedded and committed to delivering the electric vehicles. And so we, we're really concerned if anything comes along that in any way slows that transition. We've probably got slightly different views on the pace of transition. So you know, to us, we think the ZEV mandate is pushing it maybe further than the consumers actually want at this point in time, but the industry is completely committed. Most of the manufacturers are sort of announced when they're going to um, sort, of fully, sort of make their vehicles fully electric, um, fully decarbonized, uh, and you know, some of those are you know around 2030. So um, you know, definitely committed to, to delivering it. Um, I think, as we sort of said, that part of the issue is the success of the transition is then creating this this hole with the the tax revenues. Um, but we really un- we really need to understand what government then wants to do. You know what is its plans to do with with the money it raises. So as Gillian said, you know it really has to have that transparency and that um, you know ideology behind it, then people can really lock into. Um, and we're not quite sure, you know, what the new tax system is therefore going to be designed to try and change. You what is its behavioural change impacts that it's looking for, or is it just purely a revenue raise measure and if it's purely revenue raising then maybe it just needs to be a really simple system that just accepts that you know people have to pay so much money to, to sort of fund the NHS and other things rather than sort of looking to sort of actually change some sort of uh, driver behavior in some measure. Um, the industry is particularly concerned obviously that anything that adds the cost to the uh, to the transition of electric anything that adds the cost to the, the running cost of electric vehicles damages that transition and so that's our big big concern you know we don't want to see anything that in any way detracts from that movement. Uh, likewise, we're also very concerned if the technology of the vehicle in the vehicle is sort of being used for something that it wasn't designed for, or the manufacturers is in some way liable for the technology in the vehicles if you are going down a, a route of a very sophisticated uh, technology-based system. As I said, we've not sort of got a fully fledged position on this. Um, You know, we are in. We are sort of internally looking at it. Have been looking at it for a number of years. Um, But really, we're probably sort of like aligned to a simple mileage-based system with some sort of CO2 element to it. Um, We probably think that actually using MOTs and the like is is something that you could use. Often, cars in the first three years are bought through like a contract, and so they have like a a mileage um, sort of uh, idea built into that at the beginning, so that could be done. I think potentially location and time of day charges seems potentially a complexity too far um, for the sums of money involved, but clearly we probably do really need local schemes to tackle uh, local congestion. And whether or not then that's under the um, auspices of a centrally funded uh, and essentially sort of where you can pay into those funds is something that we could do. Um, but really, we're also really keen to understand how it works across all the different types of vehicles. So, you know, this is talking about cars, um, but also we've got vans, trucks, buses, you know, they all currently use fuel, they're all set to decarbonize. So, how will they be brought into it? Um, <clears throat> in terms of lead times, you know, we typically like to sort of see two, three year uh, lead times before we sort of see a regulatory change or a taxation change coming in, so it gives consumers the, ti- the time to sort of uh, factor that into their purchasing costs of the vehicles. Uh, I think we're really aligned with that call for um, VAT on EV charging. Um, you know, Public charging inf- is very expensive, uh, and just a, you know a note of caution on those running cost figures, Um, You know, it really depends on the parameters that you use, the mileage that is assumed, and where you're charging those vehicles. And so if you're charging them at home, then yes, it can be quite a lot cheaper. But if you're using public charge points, that can be sort of two, three times the cost of charging it at home, um, which which might make those sort of uh, running costs very different. When you actually look at total running costs as well, you've got to be really careful with what, what you're looking in, what you're including in there. Um, so typically, some other f- factors can make the costs of running an EV slightly more expensive, notably insurance. Uh, and then when you look at the purchase price of the vehicles, you know at the moment, they are more expensive. And so if you are looking at somebody's costs of operating an electric vehicle for a typical three-year period, Uh, then I think from our own calculations, you know, we still think that electric vehicles are more expensive. So people are making a distinct choice to move into those. And also at the moment they are paying much higher VATs on those vehicles because the vehicles are more expensive. Uh, And so that also brings in additional revenues to the government. uh, And so you do have to sort of balance out all of these things. Um, But clearly, you know, it's it's a really good discussion that we're having. Uh, definitely want things to, you know, things do have to change, you know, we understand that uh, electric vehicles shouldn't get a free ride, but at the same time, you know, we do you have to understand that they, they do need that support for the transition, and that's, that is, you know, totally uh, in line with, obviously, meeting all the carbon budgets, is transport having to deliver on that CO2 trajectory, so we really need that transition to happen in the first place, and potentially, maybe that's more important
1: than some tax revenue in the short term. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you to all our panellists. And as you can sense from the discussion we've had so far, we're trying to balance several different key objectives. We're trying to promote the green transition, trying to protect revenue from otherwise what would be a serious and growing black hole in the revenues. And we're, as a resolution foundation, very focused on equitable distribution of these costs and benefits. One issue we haven't really touched on, but appeared again in the media comment, uh, of course, generally, praising Johnny's (laughs) fantastic pamphlet, Um, the privacy question and whether and indeed whenever these schemes emerge it is one of the concerns to some extent I think people will be shocked by the amount of data about their car use that is already being collected as part of the modern software and electric vehicles Uh, but should people be worried about a government agency knowing so much about exactly where they are taking their car, should they be worried that other agencies, security agencies, policing agencies would expect access to that data? Is all that? How do we go through that set of questions? I know, General, you've been thinking about that. Do you want to set the ball again?
4: Well, I th- it is a very important issue. Again, it's another one of those that will trip this up if we're not careful. Um, I think with whether it's talking about the the sort of unfairness of costs and charges, whether it's talking about privacy or whatever the perceived disadvantages and, and lack of fair application might be, it is always going to be worth trying to say to people, the system is unfair at the moment lots of data is collected on you at the moment. There's, there's not enough discussion often or, or not attempt to just poo-poo. This, you know, we've got to be very careful in the tone that we do this, but we do have to point out to people that the, that the, current, state, the, the current state of play is also uh, not as they would like it, um, and that the, this has, a, has the potential to, um, to actually in, improve some important things, and it's about trade-off. Um, and I think um, it's, it is really, would, I haven't seen any research on it, maybe there is some, but I think it would be really interesting to get a measure of just how little or how much people really understand about the data that's collected on them at the moment through motoring and, and just when they're in transit. Um, so that would, be a, that would be a great starting mm-hmm. point for the, for the discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. Matthew, are your members worried about this issue? Do you think they've levelled with their customers about the kind of data collection now going on?
5: I mean, they're really concerned and they obviously have to comply with all the, the rules and regulations, so they're, you know, they're, they are very paranoid about you know, the data collection, what it's used for. Um, you know, clearly there is the capabilities to, to do these things, um, but you know, the manufacturers have to operate in a very strict um, rules and guidelines. Um, You know, there are technologies coming in which will record the the emissions of the vehicles and that has to be sort of submitted to, you know, in the the European system, in the European CO2 regulation, that has to be submitted. But uh, again, it's not done at any um, individual level, you know, it's done at a a manufacturer sort of group aggregate level, so so it's very difficult to therefore pinpoint down any, you know, what, what journeys individual people are doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think as Julian says, you know, it's, it's just one of those issues that you have to have a, a grown-up debate about. Um, <clears throat> but you don't want, you know, you don't want that to be a stumbling block mm-hmm. to anything. Mm-hmm. Do you have any yeah,
3: observations I, well that on that? I, in, a, in a sense, uh, also to do with, with privacy, uh, and I think also, Julian, I think you made the point that 27 28 is perhaps later than you would like for all this to happen. But I think from an OBR point of view, we can't make policy advice obviously but what we do do is we scrutinise policy costings when they come in for their feasibility and I think one of the things we'd be looking at is well actually how feasible would it be to set all of this up before twenty seven, twenty eight? 28 and so as well as the technology challenges there's also that huge we've got to make sure so you've got the privacy systems and safeguards in place because I think the worst thing that would happen is that we rush this through we don't get everything set up there's a huge data leak you've lost yeah. confidence Absolutely. and once confidence has gone so I think from a feasibility point of view we'd be looking at Well, actually, how long does it take to set up all of these things? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a very... The whole care.data experience in the NHS Mm -hmm. is a warning, if not what happens if you don't prepare the ground on these type of things. Johnny, what's your view on all this and the feasibility, how rapidly it could be done given these issues? Yeah, I
2: mean, there's examples of people opting into data collection if it makes Mm -hmm. their lives a bit better. So in cars, people, especially young people, have black boxes in their insurance if they get lower premiums. I mean, obviously, and everyone gives all their data to... Google and Apple for the services that they provide <laughs> as well. Um, so you know there is, there's, as you were saying, I guess there's less of a sort of barrier to it as there would have been in the past. Um, so yeah, ho- hopefully that will be something that would would dissuade it. But yeah, would definitely need sort of careful management along the way. Um, and on the timing, I mean, we're we're looking at this from a sort of a revenue neutrality point of view on the on the main picture on fuel duty, I guess, which is why we sort of chose then something which is as soon as is likely to be realistically deliverable. Mm-hmm. Um, but also mindful of, you know, election next year, change other changes going on. So that was a that was a point at which you could enact in, a system which would hopefully be well designed and ready to go. Um, but also not too late that it doesn't. Yeah, as that last the final chart showed that people don't get used to driving around and not mm. not paying their share of taxes.
1: Yeah. Um, well, let's. we're now going to turn to Q&A, and of course I've already got some on Slido, but for our online participants, do use Slido uh, to uh, set out questions or upvote questions. And I'm also going to turn in a moment to our audience here at Resolution Foundation. Uh, and we've got a polling question for you. I'm going to call it up uh, so that you can see the question and I'm going to give, give that online participants time to consider it's uh, their, what they think should happen on how we plug the fiscal black hole where you can see you've got three options including that tempting option ignoring it um, which uh, some may think is current government strategy but uh, the, so we've got a series of options and do give us your voting Uh, And I'll come to that result in a moment. But first, let's have an opportunity for our physical participants who've made the effort to come here, We'll, uh, and then I'll go online. Yes, we've got got three questions here. Let's take them all in a group. Yeah.
6: Hello, um, my name's Dale Cambridge-Sharp. I work at Evelyn Partners. I'm actually the lead on the taxation implications of electrification of the fleet. Um, And I used to be deputy head of the... Um, Future of Motor and Taxes team at HMRC. So, spent many years <laughs> look, looking at this issue. Um, and um, so, my question really is going to be around, um, I didn't notice in your presentation anything about who would be, uh, who, who would have the tax liability. So, I'm assuming you're suggesting it would be the motorist. And um, just a quick point, really. The reason HMRC love fuel duty is that it's taxed at the first point that the fuel enters the UK market. So there's about 90 taxpayers paying 90% of 26 billion. And there are some taxpayers who pay 500 million pounds a quarter. Um, so you would go from that system to potentially taxing 30 million motorists around 50 quid a month. Um, have you considered the implications of that?
1: Right. Come on, this is the, this is a classic HMRC points that always get put to ministers. That's really a really good operational point. Let's collect our other two interventions and come back. Right, yep. So, yep, you're on, yep.
0: So, mine was a similar question, really. It's about the cost of uh, operating the scheme. So, I'm John Serrow. I'm an economist at Jacobs. I've been involved in introducing a number of road user charging schemes around the world, including the New York scheme, which is hopefully going to come online fairly soon. And. The challenge is about, as already we mentioned, the cost of collecting fuel duty is trivial. The cost of actually charging 30 million motorists is extremely expensive. And you've talked about it being revenue neutral. In fact, you'd have to raise an awful lot of extra revenue to do that. And also, on the practical issue, you mentioned Northern Ireland. Without putting cameras on the border, how do you enforce GPS-enabled vehicles coming in from the Irish Republic and driving into Northern Ireland, so there are a number of practical issues, which, you know, apart from all the, the political acceptability issues, which I don't think are such a problem these days. If you look at the latest opinion polls about road user charging, you actually find motorists are in favour now of road user charging replacing all other uh, fuel duties, etc. Even if that money is not reinvested back into the transport system, and again, I was involved in the UK Parliament's Climate Assembly where we discussed road user charging. And people were generally in favour of the idea in principle of actually moving to that sort of system. But it's the practicalities, I think, which are the problem. Right.
1: And then uh, next to you as well. Yes.
4: Uh, hi, uh, Alexa from The Telegraph. Um, I guess probably along similar lines, but I was just curious if the panelists thought that Britain would pot- potentially go down the road of adopting more and more toll roads. So that's obviously something that could
0: just be applied blanket to both EVs um, and older vehicles. Um, You know, could all motorways one day be be toll roads? What's the kind of feasibility of of that being
1: expanded further? Right, some very interesting practical questions. John, let's start with you, your observations on those.
2: Okay, so on the tax collection point, obviously it's very difficult to sort of go upstream in the electricity system as it is in the sort of fuel, the petrol and diesel system, because knowing what that electricity is used for is currently very, very difficult. Um, Once it gets into the home, and that's probably going to remain equally difficult going forward because if there is a meter where you plug in one wire that goes to your electric car, you could just plug in a different wire somewhere else in your house and charge your car that way. Um, so ultimately the tax, the tax of liability would fall on the motorist, but if, if a way of doing it through you know direct debits or something would hopefully in theory make that easier, but obviously it would be a big change to um, yeah, a big change to
1: the status quo. And uh, and toll roads. Do you want to comment on that question?
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess with toll roads, it's often like major roads that are toll roads. So that would that would still see congestion spill out onto other parts of the road the road network. So if you know if you did the the strategic road network, for example, which is basically just the motorways and the big A roads, if you had to pay to use those, then there would be some overflow onto other roads, which would undermine the whole reason those roads were built in the first place, was to transport a large volume of traffic on a small volume of road. Um, so, that, so that would be a sort of less less optimal system, I think, than one where local areas that had a better knowledge of both their sort of traffic and transport situations and of the people who use their roads, um, those local areas would probably, would probably be in a better position to design something that would work for them
1: and when we have looked at toll roads we have found that the problem of england being a quite a crowded congested country often the extra space required to put in traditional tolling arrangements has been an issue now you could argue that we're now on a policy spectrum where if you're willing if you don't want old fashioned tolling arrangements if you want something it's more electronic, then some of the technology we're talking about here could also be used for a form of toll road. I mean, it's very, um, it becomes, uh, they become at some point almost indistinguishable from some of the policy options we are discussing here. Uh, Alison, your observations on those issues.
3: I think uh, I'm not going to comment on toll roads, but on on the the question of of, uh, the operational costs of of these things, obviously it's going to depend on the policy, which we can't comment on, but but they would be included in the costing notes. So what we do when we get the costing notes from Treasury, or in this case, it'd be HMRC for, you know, trying to set out what the revenue from this new tax would be if this was something to happen. We do check that operational costs are included within within the total policy, and that is added to the, the headline. So whatever, you know, we would be checking for this, and it would be included, and it would be a part of the costing note. And, and it routinely is the case that once you fully account for these operating costs, then the revenue is just much less. But it is something that would be accounted for within our process. So.
1: Thank you, Alison. Sorry, is right. Gillian? It's all right. Thank you, Alison. <laughs> yes.
4: um, I think I, I will. I'll touch on toll roads in that. I think um, it also costs money to put the infrastructure up around around toll roads and the, and the land use issue as well. Uh, there's also um, a psychology point which I'll sort of keep coming back to, which is that it it sort of it's much more taken to mean that you're you're being charged for the use of that road and you're being and and the the charges are about road building and upkeep of the road and so it could, could possibly constrain the wider debate even for you know um that we need to have about the the transport system and how to invest in the whole system to get the um solutions that we're looking for um i will also just sort of push back a little bit on the, the public acceptance point. Um, as you know, John, I, I, I ran the, the, the transport part of the Climate Assembly, and although there was some some element of focusing on individual policy instruments, the discussion was very much about whole packages. And when we got people to vote on the on the packages of policies, the charging for road use was was not in the most popular package. Um, and I think that there was a there was a study quoted in in the report something like twenty three percent of people uh, uh, it's only about twenty three percent of people that object. Unfortunately, those twenty three percent of people are disproportionately Daily Mail readers, um, and they 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 might as it might as well be almost a hundred percent from the point of view of of the. The, the politicians making the decisions because that's the way it's been. Actually, you know, pragmatic policies um, um, uh, put spelt out uh, are often more popular than politicians think they are. And from from the point of view of charging, where where charging has been trialed before, put to a referenda, for instance, on very, very various local places around the world, it's 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 objected to. Um, uh, Initially, um, um, but much more accepted afterwards. Um, and so, um, uh, if we listen to that objection initially, um, we're not going to get as far.
1: That is so important. That's why we've got it in London because Ken Livingston didn't do a referendum, and we don't have it in Manchester because they did. Uh, Matthew.
5: Uh, yeah, just going back to um, Dale and John's points. Um, you know, I guess we do have vehicle excise duty, which is you know on an individual vehicle. Uh, and you know that seems to to work fine. So potentially, if you had quite a simple system, um, you know, which was broadly based on, um, you know, mileage or, you know, what you decide to do, uh, you know, potentially that could be expanded to sort of cover that off rather than having, uh, you know, a complex system which maybe is more co- costly to implement. Um, and then on the toll roads, just reminds me that I did go over the Dartmouth bridge, and so I do need to pay a toll road. um <laughs> to think so. That was a really good <laughs> question. Um, but that sort of also shows that. The complexities of these things, you know, that, you know, if you don't, you you either have a toll road where you have to slow down and pay some money over, which is obviously, you know, even more damaging for congestion or for the environment, you know, or you have like sophisticated technologies where they don't quite, they're not quite as sophisticated as you want them to be. Because, you know, you don't, it doesn't sort of like automatically just debit my account, um, you know, based upon the registration of my vehicle from some sort of national database or something like that, um, <clears throat> you know, unless I'd sort of opted into it. But, you know, I've only driven over that bridge once now, um, you know, in my lifetime. So, uh, you know, you've, you, you have all those sort of complexities, you know, do you, do you set up a system which is foolproof to cover everything um, or do you sort of just go with a really simple system where it just brings in enough money to, 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 give the government the money that they need to do whatever they want to do for their, their general bits? Um, you know, or how much are you really trying to sort of shape what the motorist is doing? You know, now they've made the commitment to go electric, you know, decarbonize their their transport journey. You know, what else are you trying to make them do? You know, is congestion the issue? You know, it looks currently on, the, on sort of recent MOT data and National Travel Survey data that mileage is falling away quite sharply anyway. Um, and so, you know, you sort of wonder how much, um, you know, will will people really start driving around a lot more if suddenly it's cheaper? You know, have people really changed how they they operate, um, you know, and, and what they do? Um, you know, has all that changed? Are we just in this sort of flux period, sort of post-COVID and things are going to return back? It's just a really interesting time with so many different variables going on under the surface that makes, as Alison said, forecasting really challenging at this point in time.
1: Yes, and that, uh, and that interesting, your final observation there, Matthew, actually ties in with some, a strand of comments coming in from our Slido uh, questions. Um, one comment which has been upvoted, <coughs> excuse me, this discussion is based on existing road use and increasing use based on cheaper vehicles. Is there not a strong possibility that we move away from car use and use pool vehicles, driverless cars, or other similar concepts. Uh, there's another question about whether the shift to working from home, home working model, may have uh, be having an effect on congestion and commuting patterns. So, to what extent? In fact, why don't we stick with you for one more minute on this man To what are we? Do you think actually going to see a more dramatic decline in car use than has than we assume in our paper?
5: Um. <clears throat> Well, obviously, we hope not because we want to keep uh, vehicles. Uh, I mean, personally, uh, you know, I, th- I think that the the uh, the transition to electric vehicles would be more challenging. Um, you know, it's quite easy at the moment for more affluent people. You know, they can afford the vehicles. They've got the they've got the home charging capabilities typically. As you move to mass market, that becomes really challenging, especially because public charging is so expensive. So if you're if you're having to use public charging, it makes it really, really difficult. Um, You know, the costs of the vehicles, you know, unfortunately, raw material prices are going up, energy prices have shot up, um, labor costs are going up. You know, it makes all it makes it quite challenging to reduce those those costs. Um, Then we've got the energy costs being very high and elevated, and whilst they now are beginning to uh, come down, they're still very elevated, and, you know, when you hear the energy companies, they're talking that they'll remain elevated for some time. Uh, And so, you know, you have all these barriers, really, that are coming in to uh, make it much more challenging. We've got vehicle exercise duty coming in from 2025, electric cars will will also have to pay the expensive car supplement on on that if they're over £40,000 threshold. You know, all these things act as little barriers to the transition, and you know, we we as the industry can't afford that transition to to slow down because we're fully wedded to commit to delivering those vehicles. You know, all the manufacturers, as I said earlier, have got commitments. They're spending billions of pounds on developing these vehicles, bringing them to market. Um, but it is a, it is a challenging and potentially coming quite a soft um, uh, sort of market to you know the consumers. Is, Appetite seems to be softening for these vehicles a little bit, Uh, and so we need to get them back on the right trajectory. The zero emission vehicle mandate clearly is just putting the onus on the on the manufacturers now to deliver it. You know, it's not got the policy drivers. The government's removed a lot of the incentive. Removed all the incentives for electric vehicle um, drivers, especially for private users. Uh, And increasingly, it's just looking at regulation to deliver uh, upon their policy objectives without putting the sums of money in that we've seen. Other sectors, particularly the right. energy sector.
1: Okay, uh, thank you, Gillian.
4: Yeah, quite a lot to say on this. I'll try and keep it short. So, I uh, my my research is looking at travel patterns broadly, past uh, uh, past trends, uh, what why they've occurred, what the particular structural factors are, what the individual uh, demographic and psychological factors are that might be um, sort of explain some of these shifts in patterns. With respect to pre-COVID, there was a reduction in, in average per capita miles traveled by car. That's not the same as there having been an absolute reduction in miles traveled by car, because population was still going up. And when we talk about what we need to achieve for decarbonisation alongside electrification, it's an absolute reduction of around 20% reduction in in car mileage. So that's the difference there. There was a a trend. So the growth, if you like, had slowed, um, but it had not reversed. And we're talking about a reversal in reduction in miles of the type, we've not seen anywhere in the world on the scale and at the speed that we need to do it at, nowhere. It doesn't exist as an example. So, so you know, we've got to be realistic about what we're talking about here, not, oh, isn't it happening anyway? No, but it absolutely isn't. And what we saw during COVID, or we can sip, see where we are today, that car traffic uh, is not quite, or it's about maybe just, at pre-COVID levels, but the distribution of that traffic is very different um, in that we've we've lost some of the peakiness of that and we're Mm. seeing a lot more traffic or travelling at weekends. But it was always the case that commuting and business travel only made up, at maximum, a third of miles travelled by car anyway. And by far, the most mileage is taken up by leisure travel and an awful lot of that is done on the strategic network. It's just spread out so we don't feel it as much in terms of congestion. And these are all the sorts of things that I was talking about when we want to look at the distributional impacts of these kind of charges. And that we want to target it at congestion, um, but um, a, a universal per mile duty will impact on um, much, much more than, than just the commute. We have got to do it in conjunction with local congestion charging, but if we leave it to local authorities to do that, it'll be, you know, they've had 20 years to, to implement that already, and no one has done it other than London.
1: Yeah, though, of course, I think part of the ingenuity of Johnny's proposal is that if this happens, it's a framework that does make I, I do congestion agree. Congestion charging, a much more viable option. I agree, yeah. So it opens that debate up. It creates, mm-hmm. a, I think, an easier environment for it. Uh, Alison?
3: Yeah, I mean, it is certainly a, a tricky question for us as forecasters to try and assume whether there is structural behavioural change and if there's going to be future behavioural change in a way we can't predict. So most of our forecasts are medium-term, five-year forecasts, and a lot of these changes are going to be beyond that horizon. So... But we do assess at every fiscal event if there are changes in what's going on so we talk to stakeholders like Matt and try and get an idea for what's going on uh, in, in, the, in the driving behaviour to try and inform our forecasts and we do model that might like, alter them if we're seeing new data and new trends but it is a judgement call we've got to make if it, you know, a slower acceleration or if we've sort of paused our increase in driving that's, that's something we do assess and if it does look like you know, down the line, everyone's now using mass public transport instead of driving, then we will update our models as needed. But, you know, that is probably beyond our current forecast horizon, I would say.
1: <laughs> uh, Johnny, your, your observations uh, on that?
2: So we discussed um, changing level levels of demand quite a lot when we're doing this work. And there are so many different expectations and op- well, yeah, levels of optimism about what, what will happen. Um, but it's still obviously so. It's still so uncertain. So one example, I guess, is the government's recent swathe of net zero documents. Its new net, big net zero plan, in effect, that came out in March, had a higher expectation of miles driven in years and decades to come <clears throat> than the previous one did, um, which obviously shows the sort of the, the thinking that's going into that is less sort of um, about getting people out of their cars and more sort of making it, making cars carbon free. Um, So as such, we didn't want to take any big calls on, you know, fewer miles in the future. And we just, we just went in line with, with those really.
1: Right. Thanks. I'm just going to stick with you, Johnny, for one specific question, just to clarify exactly what we are proposing, which is about the, the 5% VAT. And of course, what you're proposing in your paper is this problem of people using public charging fac- facilities are, um, at the moment, paying more than, often more affluent people charging at home. Do you want to take people through that? Because we've had a, a question about the 5% rate, but I think you need to explain clearly exactly what we are envisaging here and what the Resolution Foundation's concerns are.
2: Okay, so at the moment, the electricity that you use in your house is charged VAT at the reduced rate, which is 5%. Whereas electricity that goes into the public charging network is not charged at the reduced rate, so it's 20% instead. Um, and as the reasons David just said, this would be fairer if these were rates were the same, um, which gives you two options: either increasing the five percent rate to twenty percent, so it's the same at public and at home, or decreasing the twenty percent rate to five percent. But if you if the five percent rate was pushed up, that would obviously make electricity more expensive that you use for charging your car, but for other things you use electricity for in your house. Um, obviously, energy bills are very high at the moment, but there's also a, a, a bit of a need to not make electricity more expensive than it needs to be, especially in relative to the price of gas. If we're going to look at decarbonising other parts of the economy, specifically how we keep our houses warm, um, it'd be nice if they were heated by yeah, low-carbon electricity rather than high-carbon gas. So Making electricity more expensive, while well, not making gas more expensive, would make that transition less appealing for people looking to change their heat system. Um, so as such, we sort of propose that it goes down to 5% on the public network, um, matching that you pay at home.
1: Thank you very much. Um, there's another strand of questions coming in, which is about, I think people are tempted by the idea that if this technology exists, if you have this system, other various tweaks and special features and ways you could um, uh, adjust it. So, uh, uh, would it be possible? One question is Would any of the panel advocate a more targeted system of congestion char- charges that varies mile by mile? I think people in visiting you might have at different rates in some places, and also someone who has put in um, uh, that. Not all electric vehicles are the same. So a flat levy would be unfair. My EV motorbike is far more efficient than a Tesla. So uh, should that be, that, so that you can think of lots of complicated issues that simply taxing per mile that don't address. Do you, again, Johnny, do you want to just comment on those type of options? And if you, and then I'll turn to our other panelists, if you're a policymaker, imagine we got this up and running. There are lots of ways you could adjust it. What are the most tempting ones?
2: Yeah, so we, we did look in the report at different rates for different types of vehicle, and that's not something we're explicitly against. It's just we didn't um, set out what, the, what they could be. Um, could you go back to the previous question, David?
1: Yeah, and this, it, it was also different. Why does it have to be a standard mile rate? Could you have it at different rates in different areas? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, that, that's 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 where we came down on the line of simplicity um, and not letting perfect be the enemy of the good and getting a system that is socially acceptable politically acceptable but also can be implemented at a rate quick enough uh, speed quick enough to yeah stop tax revenues falling so quickly
1: yeah and now for our panelists just if if this system were up and running are the ways in which you think it could be you could see temptations for now, you've been reminding us, Alison, you don't have <laughs> all policy advice, but just speculate.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, obviously there's ways that it could be, could be tinkered with, but we couldn't advocate one way over the other. But, you know, in other policies, there are rates applied to things differently, which, you know, you might use for a purpose. So we have the climate change levy would be the example, where electricity was charged at double the rate, of gas, and that was because electricity used to be quite dirty with coal, but now it's quite clean. So now this is kind of a disincentive. But you know, there could be ways for policymakers to apply that to you know different types of EVs. So you know, if you thought that bigger was worse, you could say apply a higher rate. That would be possible.
4: Whether you'd want to do it's
1: yeah. a question. <laughs> yeah, Julian.
4: So my understanding is that that you, you've thought about. Um, Some of this in terms of weight of vehicles, size of vehicles, and and using VED Mm -hmm. for that. And I I thought that was fine. I think we do have to address that. It's absolutely essential that we address the size of vehicles. My issue with VED, uh, just just by the way, worth broader discussion, maybe uh, outside of this room, is that, of course, a lot of new cars are purchased either through companies or now. I think it's something like 90% of cars are bought on some sort of finance lease deal and what's happening is um, in both those cases one way or another the first year vehicle excise duty fee which is one of the the prime ways of trying to differentiate between weight or whatever thing you want to try and sort of price more than something else um, is often wrapped into the monthly charges and spread out over three years so from a consumer point of view they're not getting this signal they're not getting that and so my feeling is unfortunately the vehicle excise duty isn't uh, might not be um as um powerful as it as as it once was and we have seen it used quite well in the past so that's that's one thing um i do think that getting this implemented initially in a very simple way um is is probably the best bet but you will get lots of calls like this of it's not fair because i drive this it's not fair because i live here it's not fair because I'm a key worker, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, those are all valid. And this is why I think there does need to be more understanding of the distributional impacts, and there does need to be more talk about, okay, in those inaccessible areas, we're doing this. Um, there's there's these other compensatory measures um, that come into play, um, and then finally, I mean, I do think that the, the proposition that this would be taking place in conjunction with, although I think some of your language suggests, you know, hopefully it would happen at a later date with the local congestion charging schemes. Personally, I think it, it needs to happen in conjunction or, or, or very soon uh, after one another um, because we're not gonna hit so many of, of the other objectives otherwise.
1: Right, thank you. Uh, Matthew? Uh, again,
5: it probably comes down to what are your policy, policy objectives, and you know the balancing between simplicity and um, you know are you trying to shape behavioural change or generate revenues? Um, <clears throat> you know, yes, you could make it a very sophisticated time of day um, and uh, you know system, but you know, do you really need that um, or or not? You know, so how 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 are you trying to shape things? Uh, I think we. You know, obviously, vehicle excise duty was designed around um, uh, petrol and diesel cars and trying to shape their uh, movement. You know, with with electric vehicles where there's zero emission, then you know, if, if you're moving from CO2-based, you'd have to come up with some other um, system of how you're looking at uh, judging which electric vehicle is better than another electric vehicle. Um, and so again, you know, do you end up with? different systems for different types of vehicles just adds complexity to it. Um, I think we have an issue with using a weight-based system, Um, you know typically electric vehicles are are heavier you know and it very much depends upon the size of the battery that you've put into the vehicle Um, but also a lot of the weight of the vehicle is borne through um, you know safety environmental features and and stuff like so you don't in any way want to um, you know Somehow, discourage people from fitting those types of of systems to save a bit of weight, to save a bit of um, taxation. So, uh, it's a careful balancing act. um, And I think we, you know, you probably need a a big sort of uh, discussion around, you know, what is the best form of any sort of new vehicle excise duty if that's what you're going to go down the route of. Uh, And then you've also got this complexity of how do you treat cars versus vans versus trucks if you're going down some sort of weight based system or any other type of
1: system. Good. Thank you very much indeed. We've just got time to see the results of our poll. How we should fill the uh, the fiscal hole from uh, that's interesting. A very strong support for uh, electric vehicles. I'm I'm surprised that the high fuel duty does so much worse it's because uh, actually I think one of the you know, lessons from our discussion and the interesting observations from people who've operationally dealt with this is just what an efficient tax fuel duty is uh, though of course we can see its long-term decline so I think we've also had some eloquent advocates of fuel duty here in our, in our audience um i'm going to leave the last word to johnny who's, whose pamphlet this is alongside adam call it johnny do you want to pull the thread together any final observations on what you've heard and your reaction to this uh resounding endorsement of your paper <laughs> <laughs> um
2: i guess i just reiterate the sort of main the main sort of design criteria we came at this point, and that is to obviously preserve revenues but to do so in a way that keeps the net zero transition well brings the net zero transition back on track um solves congestion and um, protects households on low middle incomes and obviously there's a lot of, um, of further down all these different rabbit holes you could go, we've got a little bit of the way down some of them in this chat but bringing it back to those sort of key objectives is, is how we think it should be dealt with.
1: Yeah, I think we really have tried to balance the different considerations and it is a carefully constructed package I think it's very interesting to think of how it could help promote local congestion charges get them back on the agenda and who knows this could also be an area if we can get it right if we can create the, the software that's needed for analyzing this data if we can get the right regulator regime that uh, protects privacy this could be a uh, great british service export which is another theme of our economic inquiry if we crack it there's uh this is something that you may well find other countries want to learn from and apply our experience thank you all for participating both online and physically with us today and thank you very much to johnny and adam for an excellent paper and to our other panelists
0: thank you for listening to this resolution foundation event you can find more episodes and the latest living standards research on the resolution foundation website